RTHK News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Steve Dunthorne. Tonight's headlines. Hong Kong's markets watchdog hits Goldman Sachs with a record fine. A magistrate is cleared of bias for calling a teenage protester convicted of arson a fine kid. And Beijing renews a controversial deal with the Vatican that gives the Communist Party a say in naming bishops. Hong Kong's markets watchdog has hit Goldman Sachs Asia with the biggest fine in its history, ordering the US investment bank to hand over more than $2.7 billion over its dealings with Malaysia's 1MDB Sovereign Wealth Fund. Here's Joanne Wong. Goldman helped Malaysia's Sovereign Wealth Fund raise $6.5 billion US dollars in a series of bond offerings in 2012 and 2013. But instead of aiding with the country's development, almost half of the money was misappropriated in a scandal that brought down the former Malaysian leader Najib Razak. Now the Securities and Futures Commission has found that Goldman's Hong Kong-based compliance and control hub had missed a number of red flags that should have prompted closer examination of the compliance and money laundering risks. In particular, the SFC said various committees in the bank that scrutinized the bond offerings wrongly accepted assurances from a senior banker that a Malaysian financier, Joe Lo, was not involved in the deal. The Hong Kong unit earned more than 200 million U.S. dollars in fees from the deal. It's now being forced to hand over almost twice that amount in fines. The fine is almost seven times the size of the biggest penalties the SFC has dished out previously. Its chief executive Ashley Alder said the fine followed a rigorous, independent investigation. The 1MDB scandal has proved costly for Goldman. In July, it agreed to pay 3.9 billion U.S. dollars to settle Malaysia's criminal investigation. It's expected to agree this week to pay more than 2 billion U.S. dollars to settle charges in the United States. Goldman Sachs says it'll issue a statement on the SFC's findings later. The judiciary has cleared a magistrate of allegations that she had been politically biased towards an anti-government protester whom she sentenced to probation in May. Maggie Ho has that story. Magistrate Kelly Shea was accused of being biased towards the 15-year-old defendant when she described him as being a fine kid who was full of passion as she put him on probation following his guilty plea to arson and possessing materials with intent to damage property. He had admitted to throwing three petrol bombs in Yunlong in January as a test. The Department of Justice subsequently asked the Court of Appeal to review what prosecutors deemed as an inadequate sentence. The court agreed that the sentence was wrong in principle and sent the boy to a detention center instead. Some complainants had said the original sentence was too lenient and would lead people to think that violent acts are to be encouraged. But the judiciary issued a statement, saying the chief magistrate had looked into these complaints and concluded that while her remarks were not appropriate, she did not express any views that indicates a political inclination or gives rise to a perception of apparent bias. China and the Vatican have decided to extend a deal on the appointment of Roman Catholic bishops on the mainland for two more years, despite strident condemnation from the United States and warnings from underground mainland priests loyal to Rome that they have only become more marginalised. Here's Maggie Ho again. The deal allows both Beijing and the Holy See a say in appointing bishops while the Chinese government allows them to recognize the Pope's authority. Washington had put intense pressure on the Vatican to scrap the agreement, saying it has failed to shield Chinese Catholics from persecution. 
But Foreign Ministry spokesman Zhao Lijian says both sides have now agreed to extend the deal for two years following what he described as friendly consultations. The two sides will maintain close communication and consultation and continue to push forward the process of improving relations, he said. China has cut ties with the Holy See in 1951, forcing Catholics to choose between membership of the state-run Chinese Catholic Patriotic Association or non-sanctioned churches loyal to the Pope. Those that operate without the party's blessing say they have been targeted by authorities in recent years, pointing to the demolition of underground churches, persecution of members and pressure on their clergy to switch sides. While some have hailed the Beijing-Vatican deal as a pragmatic compromise, others fear that China's underground churches will become even more marginalized. Critics, including retired Cardinal Joseph Zen, have accused the Vatican of betraying its values to appease China. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is five minutes past 11. The mother of murder victim Poon Hui Wing has called on the authorities in Taiwan and Hong Kong to contact her tomorrow so that she can act as a go-between for discussions on the surrender of the suspect, Chan Tong Kai. Timmy Sung has details. Mrs Poon's appeal came a day before the anniversary of Mr Chan's release from prison on a money laundering charge relating to money and valuables belonging to the victim. He has been under police protection since and has indicated he will turn himself into Taiwan. But Mr. Chen has so far been unable to obtain a visa, with Taiwan's mainland affairs council insisting that the SCR government needs to discuss with them before he can go to the island. Hong Kong officials have said Mr. Chen is a free man and the law doesn't allow the government to extradite him or offer legal assistance to Taiwan. The 2018 murder was cited by Chief Executive Carrie Lam as a reason for pushing her ill-fated extradition bill, which sparked Hong Kong's worst social unrest in decades. Britain has revealed more details of a new visa scheme that will give Hong Kong people with British national overseas status a path to citizenship. It's revealed that people won't need a, B- need a BNO passport to apply. Natalie Ching has more. The new Hong Kong BNO visa will open for applications from the end of January. It will allow people to move to Britain for study or work along with the dependents. It will also provide a path to full British citizenship after six years. London says the move is a response to what it calls a breach of the Sino-British Joint Declaration by Beijing. Beijing has consistently rejected claims that it's impinged on its promises to the SAR and has accused Britain of interfering in China's internal affairs. In its announcement, the British government said the visa would be priced lower than other. Similar, visas at £250, about $2,500 for five years, or £180 for 30 months. People will also have to pay a surcharge for health services and show they have enough money to live off for six months. One unexpected feature of the visa is that people won't need a current BNO passport to apply. As long as they are eligible for BNO status, they can register with an SAR passport. Health authorities say they suspect a new local COVID case with no known source has emerged in the city, even though the victim had travelled abroad recently. Meanwhile, Nepal Airlines has been banned from flying here for two weeks after nine people who arrived on the same flight tested positive for the coronavirus. Wendy Wong has more. A 38-year-old woman who travelled to Europe last month is among the 11 cases that was reported, but officials believe she had contracted the virus in Hong Kong. The woman had visited Italy and Switzerland from September 5th to 16th and was put under home quarantine for two weeks on her return. During that time, she tested negative for the virus twice. She developed a low-grade fever on the 9th this month and took some medicine. 
The fever subsided, but ten days later, she noticed that she had lost her sense of taste. She visited a private doctor and was subsequently confirmed with the infection. Here's Dr. Chuan Shukwan of the Center for Health Protection. She has a travel history more than one month ago before she had onset of symptoms on 9th uh, October. Although there's a, sometimes there may be a very long incubation period, the chance is not very high. And also we have locally acquired cases every night and then in Hong Kong, so we cannot exclude that she's possible acquired the disease locally. Uh, of course, we will do a genetic sequencing to see whether we can get any clue from that. The woman lives in Chongqing and goes jogging every day in the area. She often went to a market in Chunmun for grocery shopping and had meals at a number of restaurants in Chongqing and Chunmun. Her son started having a mild cough last Friday but had continued to go to school. He has been taken to a hospital for tests. The primary school in Chunmun that he attends has been asked to suspend classes and carry out disinfection as a precaution pending the boys' test results. And there are 10 imported cases, none of them from Nepal and an arrival from Pakistan. Dr. Chuan said in view of these cases, authorities have banned flights operated by Nepal Airlines from coming to the SAR until the 4th of next month. A union leader says Cathay Pacific staff who managed to keep their jobs for now have been told they need to take pay cuts of up to 36%. Damon Pang with that story. Cathay's flight attendance union said employees who survived the cut were given new contracts after the ailing firm announced it was slashing 8,500 jobs, including 5,300 Hong Kong-based positions. The union's vice chairwoman Amber Soon said their basic salary and hourly pay were reduced by 14 to 36 percent, with changes to other benefits as well. They will also have to agree to take unpaid leave going forward. Staff are given 14 days to decide whether they accept the new package. The changes are really big. Colleagues don't know what to do, Ms. Soon said. She said the union counter that this should only be a new short-term contract. Almost all staff at the now defunct subsidiary Cathay Dragon were laid off, and its union leader Connie Lung said on RTHK the government should also be blamed for the mass layoffs. The vice chairwoman of the Dragon Airlines Flight Attendance Association said its multi-billion dollar injection in June only saved the company, but not people's jobs. She said the public had not expected massive job losses after the government gave Cathay a lifeline worth more than $27 billion and appointed two observers to its board. Financial Secretary Paul Chan said earlier the restructuring was a business decision made by the loss-making carrier. India has complained to Twitter's chief executive Jack Dorsey after the platform wrongly displayed the disputed Indian-administered region of Ladakh as being in the People's Republic of China. More from the BBC's Electra Naismith. The remote Himalayan region of Ladakh has been contested by India and China for decades. Beijing doesn't recognise the territory. The two sides fought a war over the region and are currently engaged in a tense military standoff along the disputed border. So Twitter's geo-blip discovered by a user in Ladakh didn't go down too well in Delhi. The IT ministry fired off a letter reminding Twitter that Ladakh is an integral part of India governed by its constitution. It said any attempt by the social media giant to disrespect Indian sovereignty was totally unacceptable. Twitter's blamed a technical snag for the error and has stressed that it does understand the sensitivities involved. The government in Thailand has lifted the emergency measures it imposed a week ago in an attempt to end months of protests against the Prime Minister and the monarchy. A statement published in the official Royal Gazette said that what it described as a violent situation had now been contained. From Bangkok, the BBC's Jonathan Head reports. 
By lifting the state of emergency, he declared a week ago, Thai Prime Minister Prayut Chanocha is bowing to the inevitable. The requirement for such drastic action in the face of peaceful and only occasional protests has been questioned by members of parliament and legal experts. It was about to be challenged in court. This will be seen as a victory for a movement which has shown flair and determination in challenging a powerful establishment. It is now likely to try to keep the protests going in its campaign for a new constitution and a new government. A court in Greece has ordered the immediate imprisonment of the leader of the neo-Nazi Golden Dawn Party and six fellow former members of parliament. Nikos Mikolakalias was sentenced last week to 13 years in jail for running a criminal organisation. The BBC's Mike Sanders reports. Nikos Michaliolyakos was a power to be reckoned with. His Golden Dawn party once rode to third place in Parliament amid the austerity forced on Greece after the financial crash. Its strutting paramilitary patrols regularly confronted migrants, but they caused revulsion in 2013 when a supporter, now beginning a life sentence, stabbed to death an anti-fascist rapper. Michaliolyakos said he was proud to go to jail. He claimed history and hundreds of thousands of Greeks would vindicate him but they deserted in droves when Golden Dawn was ousted from Parliament last year. To sport and in baseball, the Tampa Bay Rays held off the LA Dodgers 6-4 to level the World Series at one game apiece. Brandon Lowe was the star of the game. The second baseman broke out of an extended postseason slump with two home runs. Rays starter Blake Snell held the Dodgers hitless through the first four innings. The teams now get a day off and will resume on Saturday morning Hong Kong time. The 2022 Commonwealth Games in Birmingham will be the first major multi-sports event to award more medals to women than men. There will be 136 medal events for women, compared with 134 for men. Ebony Asura Brown was part of the gold medal winning English netball team at the most recent edition of the Games on Australia's Gold Coast in 2018. It's absolutely massive, I think, for women's sport in this country. I think over the last three years, we've definitely seen uh, women's sport on an upward trajectory in terms of profile and participation and coverage. And hopefully we can inspire more women and girls to get into sport, whatever sport that might be, but also create some more awareness about how exciting and spectacular women's sport actually is. So it's such a great birth to have Commonwealth Games take this step forward. Hopefully we'll continue in the years to come. A reminder of our top stories tonight. Hong Kong's market's watchdog hits Goldman Sachs with a record fine. A magistrate is cleared of bias for calling a teenage protester convicted of arson a fine kid. And Beijing renews a controversial deal with the Vatican that gives the Communist Party a say in naming bishops. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3 it's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's Newswrap programme. A scholar says more mass layoffs by the end of the year could push Hong Kong's unemployment rate to 7% or 0.6 percentage points higher than the current level. Simon Lee from Chinese University's Business School expects more businesses to sack more staff next month when the government's wage subsidy scheme comes to an end. Firms cannot get the money if they cut jobs. But Mr Lee told Damon Pang that companies will likely need to downscale their operations soon. 
some companies, they did apply for a phase two of the employment support scheme. And then like Cafe Pacific, they start sacking people. They tolerance for the very worst situation for many months since protest time and also the COVID-19 time. And the EN is coming because staff cost is one of the significant operating costs. After the support, if they foresee that the situation will not rebound in the near future, then I think the best way to reduce the operating costs and to survive is to sack the staff. Now, when we're talking about survival issue, think from the employer's point of view. If they can downscale their operation, they can survive for a little bit longer time, same as Cafe Pacific. Or some, they may decide to close the business because originally they think that the situation will be getting better in later part of this year, such as October, November, December. But now it's almost November, situation will remain the same. And then there's no, they cannot see the end of the tunnel. And then, so for survival issue, for maintenance issue, I think they need to reduce the operating costs. So how do you think this will affect the local unemployment rate? I don't think for single company the scale will be bigger than Cafe Pacific. But for the many medium size and small and medium enterprise that all together I think it's possible to have that scale. I will foresee that after November end of the employment support scheme phase two the unemployment rate will increase by another 0.2 to 0.3. Some company decided not to apply for phase two. I think just two or three months, uh, the unemployment rate, about 6.4, 6.6 to 6.7, then close to 7. It's very, very likely, end of the year and early, early next year. A professor of logistics says axing Cathay Dragon will help the Cathay Pacific Group streamline its brand and focus more on its low-cost carrier Hong Kong Express. Dr. Akim Cherney from the Polytechnic University's Department of Logistics and Maritime Studies says that with most people taking a financial hit from the effects of the pandemic, demand for cheap flights will likely rise in future. Janice Wong asked him how the layoffs and restructuring would affect Cathay's future. I remember that I was on this radio channel in 2017 and we were talking about a layoff of 600 uh, positions. Uh, today we're talking about, and everyone was uh, very uh, worried about the situation. Today we are talking about a layoff of uh, or reduction in the number of positions of almost 6,000. So this is 10 times the size, so the situation is much more dramatic. But as mentioned before by, uh, uh, in, your, in your introduction, um, the situation is also much more dramatic. And I would say uh, uh, for the air transport industry as a whole, it's very dramatic, but especially for Cathay Pacific. Why? Because uh, Cathay Pacific is relying on international traffic. And international traffic, because of the pandemic and the quarantine requirements, is, is the most hit uh, part of the air transport business. And there are these ideas about having a travel bubble between, for instance, Hong Kong and uh, Singapore. Uh, and this will help, but uh, I don't think it will be enough to, to you know, justify, uh, you know, to generate enough revenue to maintain the, this stuff. And how does Cathay's revamp compare with other airlines in the region? I mean, for example, Singapore Airlines also cut staff last month and Malaysia Airlines also carried out uh, some restructuring as well. Yes, I mean this is so. You're talking about you're talking about the restructuring. Then uh, you mean the the um, laying uh, the uh, stopping the brand of Cathay Dragon. I guess um, this is something that other carriers have been doing. Uh, for instance, also in Europe, Lufthansa uh, has uh, stopped the German Wings brand. 
so that's something that uh, uh, has happened. I think if this is also another major change, and but if there is a situation in or at the, the right time of doing this, I would say this is this is now. This is going to help. I feel that it's going to help streamline uh, streamlining the company, the brand, uh, and it also helps focusing on the on the local carrier business with uh, Hong Kong Express sort of relatively becoming more more important. And this is uh, quite interesting because uh, local uh, Cafe Pacific has been very reluctant to enter the local uh, carrier business for a long time, but now it is becoming with this. Uh, with uh, stopping the Cafe Dragon brand, just becoming a more important part of their business. But I think this is preparing them. Um, this is preparing them better for the for the future. Once the pandemic is over, uh, markets will recover. Uh, people will still have a little less money in their pockets, uh, I believe, in average. Uh, and this means that low-cost carrier businesses will be uh, in demand. And once the third runway will be opened, I think then also have, having a stronger reliance on low-cost carrier business can help them uh, uh, prosper uh, in the future. Cafe CEO Augustus Chang, he said the revamp is the only way it can survive the pandemic crisis. So I guess from what you're saying, you agree with what he, his comments then? You see, I mean, there are not so many ways of cutting costs for airlines. And uh, fuel cost is, is one of the major cost components. Of course, there is no fuel cost right now because there is almost no passenger traffic. So this means there is almost no fuel required. But then the next uh, important cost component is staff. And um, so if you, wanna, if you have to cut costs and if there is almost no revenue from passenger traffic, then you know, how can you survive without cutting the cost, then, you know, regrettably and dramatically, uh, one of the, uh, you know, the, the, maybe the only thing you can do is, is cutting the number of positions. So this is totally understandable, uh, in my opinion. Although it is, of course, you know, very dramatic and drastic and, and difficult for many of the, of the highly qualified stuff from Cafe Pacific. So I would say, uh, let's hope that the that the um, pandemic will soon be over. And then uh, usually the air transport business is one that can quickly uh, ramp up. There are some ideas about the recovery until no, uh, not before 2024. But let's see. I mean, we have had so many bad news uh, and the situation has turned out to be much worse than we thought many times. So maybe this time we will have some positive news, but of course it's, it's, we, we don't know. The former US President Barack Obama has sharply criticised Donald Trump in his first campaign speech in support of the Democratic Party presidential candidate Joe Biden. Speaking in Philadelphia, Mr Obama said Mr Trump had treated the presidency like a reality show. The BBC's Aleem McBool was at the rally. Hundreds waited patiently in their vehicles in a car park beside the Phillies baseball stadium to see their former president's first drive-in rally for Joe Biden. I think what Barack Obama brings is the sense when America was great, when, when, when we were happy to go out, when we could go out and have a good time, when we were respecting and loving each other. Because eight years ago, this type of stuff wasn't in this country, the type of division we see nowadays. I'm coming because it's a historic moment for my kids to be able to see our president, uh, Barack Obama, speak and talk about what's at stake. 
Um, and it's just very important for them to be able to see it live and to feel the energy of the crowd. Well, it was unusual energy because everyone was, of course, in their cars. But they honked their horns when Barack Obama appeared and he was in unforgiving form as he talked of Donald Trump's behavior. Why are folks making excuses for that? Oh, well, that's just, that's just him. No, it's, no. And it frays the fabric of our society. And it affects how our children see things. And it affects the ways that our families get along. It affects how the world looks at America. That behavior matters. Character matters. Barack Obama tore into Donald Trump's record, saying he'd worked for no one but himself and his friends, and was scathing about the president's tax returns and the way he'd handled the coronavirus. Eight months into this pandemic, cases are rising again across this country. Donald Trump isn't suddenly going to protect all of us. He can't even take the basic steps to protect himself. Part of the reason he'd come to this city was to encourage African-Americans to vote. But unlike those who'd come out to see Barack Obama in North Philadelphia, many remain disillusioned. There's no point in really voting. Why do you say there's no point in voting? It's not. Look at the offers they've got. It don't matter who's in office. It could be Trump or Biden. It ain't going to make no difference. But it's like you're going to lose on both ends. If you really think about it, I don't see no point in voting, bro. A few streets away, the former president showed up at a community center. You know, folks seeing your effort out there is going to be inspiring. Don't be discouraged. So why Philadelphia for his first day out campaigning? Well, thousands fewer black voters turned out here four years ago as compared to previous elections. It's seen as a major factor in Hillary Clinton narrowly losing this key state, Pennsylvania, to Donald Trump. Hey, Simone. Hey, everybody. As well as attacking the current incumbent of the White House, he'll have to turn on the charm to help reverse that decline in black voting, and not just in this city. Lagos, the biggest city in Nigeria, is under a round-the-clock curfew as smoke continues to rise from a spot where soldiers are accused of having opened fire on peaceful protesters and killed many people. The shooting happened at a toll gate in the Leki district of the commercial capital. The army say they weren't there. Thousands of Nigerians have demonstrated nationwide every day for nearly two weeks against a special police unit that human rights groups accused of extortion, torture and murder. So how has Nigeria got to this point? This protester was there when the violence happened. At about 6.45 p.m., the Nigerian army pulled up on us and they opened fire. All of us were actually sitting on the ground, you know, as a sign of submitting to them. We want to let them know that, you know, we were, we were not about to cause trouble. There was no violence. We were sitting on the ground and we were singing the Nigerian national anthem. And most of us had flags in our hands and we raised it up. But they opened fire directly straight at us and they kept on advancing and advancing. The moment, you know, one or two people got it, everybody got up and it became, it became total chaos. Many more people got it. I could, I could count about 20 people 
you know, that died immediately on the spot. Lifeless bodies, about, you know, 50 people got injured. It was terrible last night. Um, I'm still unable to get through to one of our, you know, one of my comrades. You know, it's 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 been it's been crazy. Um, we want to appeal, you know, to the Nigerian government to stop killing us. We're only, you know, fighting against the police brutality, the bad governance, and everything. You know, they should please stop killing us. It was members of the Nigerian army. They wore they wore their camouflage. You know. And everything they can they cannot deny this one it was planned it was premeditated they wanted to kill us britain's new polar ship named after the famed naturalist and broadcaster sir david attenborough has departed its construction yard you may remember it as the vessel many unsuccessfully campaigned to have named boaty mcboatface the 263 million us dollar icebreaker has been four years in the making and is about to venture out on a series of sea trials. Once these are complete, the Attenborough will enter service supporting researchers in the Arctic and the Antarctic. The BBC's Jonathan Amos reports. The Royal Research Ship Sir David Attenborough edged out of her wet dock at Builders Camel Laird and into the Mersey. This first journey, though, was only a short one, a few hundred metres downriver to the Liverpool cruise terminal, where she'll be tied up for a few days of final crew training. Then it'll be out into the Irish Sea to check over her sophisticated systems, followed by a year of deep-water trials. The ship represents a major investment in British science, and in particular the study of climate change. Of course, the ship courted some controversy when its build was first announced. An online public poll concluded it be called Boaty McBoatface. Ministers wouldn't accept that, but this name will live on, applied to the yellow submarines launched from the Attenborough. As for the great man himself, his presence will be felt by all those who set sail on the vessel as he's recorded the ship's onboard announcements. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Steve Danton from our newsroom. The Smart ID Card replacement exercise is for me and for you. If you hold the old form of Smart ID Card and were born in 1962 or 1963, you must replace your ID Card on or before January 30, 2021. You may bring two family members or friends aged 65 or above and two persons with disabilities to replace ID Cards together. Let's build a caring and inclusive society. Remember to book ahead. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to remember. 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 Moments to remember, that's what the program is all about, beginning right now. Taking a long time to start, huh? But that's Mentovani.
wonderful opener, Lovely Way to Spend an Evening, Mentovani. <laughs> 